0: You open yourself up to audiences you didn't even know you had. You know, a student might listen to an episode of Course Stories and now they can go, okay, actually, that sounds like a really fun class. I want to take the online version of that class. Mm -hmm. Course Stories is available wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: (laughs) You're listening Uh. to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. On February 17, 2017, the founding members of Instruction by Design published their first two episodes in a trailer. Stephen Crawford, Celia Kuchwaitiwa, and Jeanette Senecal with the incomparable Ricardo Leon on media production. This intrepid launch team is soon joined by Aaron Kraft who debuted in episode three. The seed concept, the very point of this endeavor was to provide a new way for instructors to access a variety of ideas, techniques, and reflections on the art of teaching. The main problem that the podcast was trying to solve was how to effectively and efficiently provide professional development in a way that honored all those faculty out there who were stretched thin on time, but still committed to lifelong learning and continuous improvement. Podcasting as a general form of media has been increasing in popularity for years. A popular digital media research report that the IBD team has been keeping an eye on for years is The Infinite Dial, produced by Edison Research. This report offers a variety of metrics, but one of the most straightforward is the yearly growth in the percentage of the US population over 12 who have ever listened to podcasts. And that number has grown from 11 million in 2006 to an estimated 177 million in 2022. The percentage who have listened to a podcast in the last month has grown from 9 million in 2006 to 41 million in 2021. To put that in perspective, Edison Research estimates that podcasts accounted for a 5% share of time spent listening to all audio sources across 2021. For an academic world lens, we can turn to a 2021 Inside Higher Ed piece published by a group of 11 scholars from a diverse range of institutions. The authors suggest that podcasting offers exciting new ways to learn, create, and disseminate research. They offer four key proposals for how to leverage podcasting for teaching and scholarship. Number one, assign scholarly podcasts as primary material instead of or alongside texts in humanities courses. Number two, replace individual written assignments with team-based podcast projects that mix written and audio components. Number three, keep the independence of academic podcasters, but value their work in hiring, review and promotion decisions. Number four, support faculty and student podcast creators at the institutional level. So, five and a half years, 54 full episodes, several team member changes and one pandemic later, the OG podcast team reunites for a conversation about the dawn of IBD, how things have evolved, and what the future may hold for podcasting in higher education. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Jeanette Senecal from ASU's Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Joining me today are my colleagues, Celia Kachwatiwa,
2: Erin Kraft,
1: and as mentioned in the opener, we are very excited to be joined by two special guests today, Stephen Crawford and Ricardo Leon. Steven and Ricardo, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to since you abandoned
0: us? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is Ricardo, listener. I work for the Instructional Design and New Media team at EdPlus. We create instructional media. So I run, I uh, help to run the studio over on the Tempe campus. And I also, uh, so we produce a number of videos. We've got... Some kind of you know mostly uh, in service of the ASU online courses, but also uh, we have some other projects with other groups. We we have a project uh, with with YouTube and the Green Brothers, we, and we won their Presidents Award for that recently, and that was that was nice. So that's uh, basically a, a kind of onboarding program for people who are new to college. Wow! And so they have how to college, they have some basic you know fundamentals for different subjects. So that's that's a pretty cool project. I also produce a podcast. Uh, through through that team, and it's called Course Stories. It is available wherever you listen to podcasts, and uh, that is a uh, program where we we kind of take a course and and go through the process of how that course was created, and uh, that I do that with Mary Loader. She's also she's an instructional designer on the team, and kind of. Uh, One of the the angles of the podcast is that it's instructional design. She's the instructional designer, and I am uh, on the media team. And we kind of we we take our perspectives as we kind of follow the story of of a course being developed. Aaron, you're going to cut to a clip of that show right here. Cue clip. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's what I've been doing. Yeah, and it's been uh, it's been great. It's been wonderful, and hopefully. You know we're reaching out to the ibd listeners and and they can go and uh, check that show out
1: yeah that's pretty exciting it's exciting to hear that you've kept some fingers in the whole podcasting world too no absolutely absolutely issue definitely benefits from your expertise so Uh, that's (laughs) pretty cool steven tell us about what you've been doing since you abandoned us
3: well i have been listening to core stories and instruction (laughs) by design podcast but when I'm not doing that, I am the district director for the Maricopa Center for Learning and Innovation, which is part of the Maricopa C- County Community College District, and I work out of the district office there in academic affairs. We do a, a wide variety of things. We, we put on a number of conferences to support student affairs and academic affairs. We also provide opportunities for faculty to work on different learning innovations. So it's a, it's a wide variety of academic affairs type of stuff, and it's just lots of things.
1: Sounds slightly pedantic. So no continuing (laughs) podcast expertise for
3: you to talk about that. Well, it's interesting because, uh, we have attempted several times to launch one. Um, and I think that might be one of the topics we can talk about today is like, you know, we've, we've struggled to identify what is our audience and goal. And therefore without having that sense of purpose, it's just been a great idea, not an actual action.
1: All right. So let's move into our question number one. And this is the big one, capital B. Is podcasting still a worthy endeavor in this environment? Why or why not? What's the point?
0: Well, I think with the kind of ubiquity of podcasts now, it's, you know, it's it's just another form of publication. It's another literacy, really. I mean, it's relevant because it's so present, you know, so it's, it's, it's just another outlet for for voices to get out there. And it's crucial.
3: I would agree with that dissenters. I'll take, I'll take a dissenting. View <laughs> on <that. laughs> and only because I mean, only to prove that I think it is still a worthy endeavor. When you think about the question of why is it not a worthy endeavor, you come across barriers of, well, everybody has one, you know, that got to be the joke of the pandemic. And it was like, in any interview, it's like, someone says, oh, I do this, that, and the other, and a podcaster is like, yeah, you and everybody else. And I think that's one of the challenges that we're seeing with podcasting today and making it a worthy endeavor is everybody is doing it or so it appears. And that's where I think some of these podcasts that have been around and you're seeing some have been around for more than 10 years have really made an impact in their various fields of, of interest. And, uh, and there are several in higher ed who fit in that category and, and you're seeing big publishers and, and those big publishers sometimes meeting radio stations Sometimes meeting actual, you know, publishing houses who are going, hmm, maybe this digital audio thing is something that we should look into. And you're seeing places like Spotify going, how do we monetize it?
2: I was thinking of Spotify. I have the free account, but they're still trying to, they're pushing podcasts on me through the advertising. I have a SiriusXM account because I have a two hour drive to work and SiriusXM, they're trying to push podcasts on me. You know, they're everywhere. And I think, you know, Ricardo mentioned that the ubiquitous. The barriers to entry are so low that it's accessible to so many people at this point. It's easy to record. The hardest part is maybe getting a group of people together at the same time, in the same (laughs) spot. But otherwise, uh, we have the tools in front of us to be able to quickly throw something together. And what's important is you have the platforms available to disseminate your voice out to the public at large.
0: And in some ways, they're on equal grounds with other voices.
3: Yes.
1: Yes, yeah, sort of this, like, democratization so, yeah. of radio, good, bad, and
3: otherwise. Mm-hmm. Thank you for mentioning that part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All voices being equal is not a good thing in some cases.
2: It <laughs> was like TikTok, though. So podcasts are for, like, my generation what TikTok is to whatever generation came after me, and I, I lost track. But
4: <laughs>
3: there's,
2: just a, there's somebody who's an expert or who's just a great storyteller or a great interviewer. Talking about anything and everything, you just have to do a little research, or a little digging, and you can find something that'll pique your interest. I listened to a podcast about a guy who rode a horse from Canada all the way through the U.S. down into South America and then back while I was cleaning (laughs) my bathroom. Uh, this past weekend, <laughs> and we was, all have our journeys, <laughs> you know. And you could tell it was amateur because the production value was—it was pretty basic. You can tell nobody was going into a, a post-production room and, and, and EQing everything. But this this lady, she just was the most fantastic. Um, how you say? Interviewer. She she would ask these great questions and really draw out her guests' uh, nuances in terms of like the experience he had. And I just had a blast listening to it.
3: And, you know, it, it was right there and
2: there's, there's a hundred more just like it. If I uh, care to look.
3: It, it's funny. You, t- you talk about the, the questions when you're interviewing guests is that there are a number of podcasts I listen to where I find myself just yelling at the, 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 the <laughs> thing going, will you, will you stop asking the question and let the person you're asking actually answer. Um, but, but that I think is the fun part is that it's a chance for us to grow. And that was one of the things when we started. Was this is a chance for us to grow our voice, and it's not just in what we say, but in how we say it. And 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 then I, another criticism I have of podcasting is now that it's fracturing, it's fracturing quite a bit. Um, I refuse to go to Spotify. I'm, I'm just I, I just have a thing with Spotify, and a lot of my favorite podcasts, or should say formerly favorite podcasts, have now moved to be a Spotify exclusive. The idea behind podcasting originally was that really simple syndication feed, RSS. And it was based off of the idea of blogs that you could get this push where anytime something was published, it'd be pushed to you. And and I still like that simplicity of stuff. I, I like the fact that I can get a number of topics in one place and not have to go, well, here I go here for this topic and there for this topic and third place for a third topic. Because for someone like me, like when driving across country or doing whatever these or running or whatever I'm doing, I kind of like that variety. I don't want to just get droned on by the same voice over and over and over again with the same topic. i like to be current.
1: It's interesting that you mentioned that distribution piece, Stephen, because I was actually curious uh, in, in looking up some resources for this episode. And I did learn that as of uh, June of this year. Apparently, Apple Podcasts still holds the number one spot with 39.4% of podcast listeners. And Spotify has edged up now, of course, to number two with 264 And they have grown, I mean, tremendously in such a short amount of time with that commercialization piece. It's astonishing.
3: Yeah. And they've bought
0: a lot of voices. Mm Mm-hmm we've been fortunate to be able to have this as part of our normal day-to-day job right you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so the resources come from the positions that we hold you know i've been producing a podcast for about nine years and that's a struggle like we we have to pay for our own equipment we have to get you know everybody has to be motivated intrinsically to show up there's no paycheck there Mm -hmm. so i think that that you know a lot of these podcast producers obviously they get to a point where there's like well show me the money. You know, it's like you have to justify the uh, the work that's being done there. Yeah. But, you
3: know, I think that's the problem with all content producers. You know, if we move away from the word podcast and think about content in general, whether it's a blog, whether it's a video, whether it's audio, there's a struggle. And at some point you're like, I'm out of gas. You know, you look at the number of blogs out there, the number of websites where people have been prolific writers. and And I think some of the things that occur is that, they run out of gas because their job changes, uh, their situation changes, their thoughts on the topic have kind of changed as well, and 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 you see that with with video uh, producers, you see that with audio producers. I think that's a problem with anybody. And and you look at you know academic professionals, since we work in the higher ed world, you look at someone who writes and researches on a topic. Unless they're pushing the edge in a different direction, routinely, I think they get bored and look up and go, okay, let's go on a different tangent just to keep this interesting. Mm -hmm. And and that's, you've seen a lot of podcasts who've done that. You know, and you think about the early podcasts, a lot of them were put around entertainment. It's kind of hard to have a podcast around Lost nowadays. I mean, I started listening to podcasts when that show was still on TV and people were talking about Lost and all the theories (laughs) Mm -hmm, and all the things. mm -hmm. But when the the series ended, you could only talk about the show for so much longer, Mm -hmm. which is why I think during the pandemic, it was quite interesting to see The Office of all things have a popular podcast mm-hmm. because cast and crew said, "Hey, let's start telling stories about what happened behind the scenes because mm-hmm. nobody else knows." Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and the nostalgia cycle is just so much shorter now. It's like, you know, this, that The Office ended what, like five, maybe even ten years ago. But yeah, it's the, been a while. This is the cycle shortened. People just want they can consume reruns easily mm-hmm. on demand. So that's that's probably part of that. Yeah. So I've I've actually I've helped uh, consult on a number of podcasts uh, being developed because, yeah, I mean, it is hard to, you know, Aaron, do you you speak about our podcast? I, I can. Uh, professionally, Aaron and sure. I are on a podcast, One, Two, Three Jokes, uh, that we've been producing for about nine years. Oh, Stephen's getting bashful now. He doesn't want to mention this show. It's a very, it's a mature <laughs> show. <laughs> That's very immature. That's one word. <laughs>
1: non <laughs> academic is what we're trying to say, listeners. It's not
0: academic. Yes, yes. In any yes. way, but shape, or I mean, form. It,
2: it is hard to keep stuff like it's that. It's hardly fresh. entertainment really.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's hard to keep that kind of motivation fresh for years. Yeah. I mean we just took a hiatus because people are getting burnt out on these things cuz yeah and again it's that that idea is like what what is motivating you to continue doing this? Uh, one thing that's wonderful about IBD is that how how connected the you folks are to the conversation outside of the podcast. I you've always been really great at connecting on Twitter and, and really being part of a larger conversation that I've always really admired that you you guys are able to do to leverage
4: I know for me the when we first started the podcast I didn't listen to podcasts it, it was always a struggle for me to get into them I would try different topics I just is it, it was something that I wasn't interested in but you know we had this we had the group ready and I tried it and i struggled for a really long time to i mean i'm always the one with the flubs but over time i've learned how much people do enjoy listening to our our topics and our conversations and i think that's the piece that motivates me the most and i just attended the OLC innovate conference and i was asked to participate on the OLC live podcast and that was for me like you want me to be on another podcast do you not listen to me talk on <laughs> on ibd <laughs> like, are you sure you listen to us <laughs> but getting to go there and talk with brandon Pulia, getting to sit there and talk with him live at olc live and having some listeners join in and part of the conversation and they you know extended it over onto twitter that was a lot of fun to see People are actually interested in this. Like I might not necessarily be personally, but there are a lot of people who really are interested in our topics that we have interested in listening to instructional design. And there are a couple podcasts now, like when I when I need to get my mind into, you know, work and thinking about, you know, new topics or new ideas. I will throw on a podcast now that has connections to instructional design, whether it's a private sector. Yeah, (laughs) course stories is a, a wonderful one because of the way that they move through the course building process. But I also like listening to another one called the instructional designers in office Drinking coffee, so dc <laughs> I'll throw that one out. I really. Like are you sure that wasn't to Topcast
3: because they drink coffee?
4: I also love Topcast, <laughs> and I, I. So OLC Live is actually put together with Kelvin Thompson from Topcast, and I told him when we were talking on the side, I was like, I came ready to talk to you about what coffee I had that morning. It's <laughs> like, but we didn't get, it, we didn't have that in the actual OLC Live recording.
0: But have you thought of your um, coffee yet?
4: I do have a specific coffee, but I got to figure out the analogy to see how it ties (laughs) into the topic that we talk about. (laughs) Prep work is everything. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But those two I go to for like looking for ID topics and thinking about, you know, what, what kind of ideas can I have that I can bring into work or just to get my mindset right? Like, you know, you come back from a vacation and you're thinking about the next place you want to go. And sometimes I have to listen on my way to work. Like, let me listen to something that has to do with instructional design so I could get focused. So,
2: you that's say where that I am. Like, you're surprised. You're like, there are people that actually want to listen to <laughs> instructional design related content.
4: Someone like me who's like, you know i like not much of a podcast listener i was
0: just talking to someone today about (laughs) that and i was telling him that i'm going to go to uh, be on the ibd reunion episode and he said oh yeah you know when my wife got a job here at asu he decided to get a job at ASU too. And he knew that he's like, I knew that ASU was a cool, doing cool things because he'd been listening to the Instruction by Design podcast.
4: <laughs>
2: that's at least two
3: people I've heard. I'm gonna say, yeah, I've heard of another nice. one as well. Yeah,
4: see, uh, but that's the thing. Like that's, that's what I think motivates me personally to keep doing the podcast. Like so stay interested in what we're doing.
3: And that ties into some of the stuff from Seth Godin. In his podcast and his writings, he talks about the smallest viable audience. And that's who you work towards. You don't, you know, people who go after a publishing company and all the big deals where all the big money is, you're trying to water down your message to get to as many people as possible. And I think that's one of the big things for us and that we did quite well is we knew who we were talking to and we knew we came in with a plan on what we were going to talk about. And and we found our what he would call our smallest viable audience, it, the one that made it worth it. And sometimes it takes a while to get above the noise to find individuals. But when you do, you start to build that tribe, as he would call it. And and that's worked really well. And then you throw in the ASU brand name on top of that. You know, it starts to add a lot of gravity to it and people start to come here and they go, oh, yeah, I know ASU. I know the Instructions by Design podcast. Oh, by the way, I'm also an instructional designer. Let's put all three together and see if I can work somewhere in that institution. And and I think that there's a lot to be said about that because we know where we're trying to go and we're trying to, yeah, and, and we're finding our audience that way. And, and sometimes it's okay to start with going, I've got a great story. I wonder who will like it and figure it out later, but we got, you know, we got lucky. It was good.
4: You know, one of the other things too about our podcast that I really like is, I'm a fan of of book clubs or you know reading the same book with multiple people and you know talking through it and I feel like our podcast almost does that because we choose this topic we do some research we're all you know reading the same information and then we come in and talk about it That's the piece that I like the most about our podcast is that it it's a, another form of that that book club
0: mm-hmm. type thing It's conversational
3: Right Yeah. And it puts us all on the same page. You know, when we come out, you know, sometimes you do want to have a debate and, but, (laughs) but you've got to come in prepared going, these are the things I need to say to argue my pedagogical point on why I think this approach is better than the other approach.
1: Yeah. I think we always recognize that was one of our strengths, this combination of structure with looser conversation Mm -hmm. and opportunity to tell stories, but there's, there's really a skeleton. And there's a point and there's a lot of prep work that goes into it, even, even this episode. We're going down memory lane, but we all took some time to review some materials and, you know, think through where the conversation where to would go. <laughs> all right. So a couple of minutes ago, we invoked this thing called the pandemic, this crazy thing that happened. Still How's happening. That? Still happening. How has that impacted your thinking or has it on podcasts for learning and our professional development? Has anything changed in your thinking around the role and the... The value, the function.
3: So I have a reflection that um, I remember, and we always had this crisis today. So we're all in the same room by accident. <laughs> um, because, oh, man. and I'll admit it, I cannot read my calendar. And I just assumed we were doing this in person, didn't see the Zoom link. And I think that's an important piece because there were people prior to the pandemic who were experimenting with Skype and Zoom and other technologies similar to that who were trying to do overseas podcasts and they were dealing with a lot of the troubles that we have dealt with over the last two plus years we however, we yeah. did
1: our one cross country remote guest episode and it was i mean i think ricardo can speak to this it was complicated it like was, yeah it was weird <laughs> we had to use different <laughs> headphones and it, it
3: exactly was, that it was, was pre-pandemic yeah and and we had some of us in the room and we had one person from florida if i remember correctly yep And, and yeah, that mixed, that mixed mode where some of the speakers, I think that's where one of the challenges we have is because there's five of us in the room. And in that case, there were six with the six being remote, but we've gotten this system down where it's very simple for us to be in the room to make this happen. Whereas other people, it's a one person job. They have, they're like, Hey, I'm on my end. You're on your end. We, we, we both record audio on our local side. And that's one of the things I think people have learned in the pandemic is it's great to record. Cause I did some, some of those remote recordings with other tools that weren't that great, but one of the things they were trying to do was record the audio locally. And that way you had a track for each individual. So if, if it got bad on one end, hopefully the source end would work well. And that's been the trick. I think people who have been doing this have realized I can now literally interview anyone in the world. The technology mm-hmm. has gotten so well. If, if it's recorded on the local end, even if you're having the conversation over your phone, as long as you're recording on both ends on your iPhone or whatever smartphone you have, it works well.
1: So that necessary change in production for safety reasons has opened us up now to thinking about podcasts and who we bring on in different ways
3: except it opens up the door to burnout because now you have to have <laughs> someone produce the podcast yeah. and, and mm-hmm. mix the audio correctly. And that you know, it's not, because people want that short answer of how do I just do it in Zoom, record the audio, and as soon as we're done, publish it. That's not how it works, boys and girls. It takes hours and hours of editing if you do it correctly for it to sound good. Like
0: so many of our conversations are now mediated already you know what i mean so now it's like well why don't we just record this you know and then it's like well if this was a good enough conversation why don't we publish it now we're just all very used to being able to speak on a microphone with good lighting on our cameras and good microphone technique it's kind of changed the game and again i want to push that it's a new literacy you know it's a new it's a new modality for communication or for for sharing information
2: you know i have to stay in a lot uh namely because I have like a young I have a young child at home, you know, she's two. I I, I didn't want to risk getting COVID, so you know, I try to stay in as much as possible, uh for, you know at least while the waves were hitting, right? You get stir crazy, is that the right word, or is it uh, cabin fever? Those
3: are both either, either yeah. or
0: <laughs> get the this the thesaurus out. Get the,
3: yeah,
2: right. <laughs> I need to <laughs> And so, I, I'm yearning to like get out somehow. And so, I find that podcasts are fantastic because there's just so much content out there. I can stay busy doing things around the house and listening. So, I, I find that the pandemic actually accelerated my interests in podcasts. Even even though I was podcasting beforehand, I've actually been podcasting since 2010 Where I started in China as an English teacher, making my own weekly podcast for uh, English content, but um, I found a new, new, uh, rejuvenated interest just so I could get out, uh, at least mentally, and and explore something new, even though leaving the house uh, wasn't always an option.
4: And I'm going to piggyback on that because during the pandemic, when we weren't, you know, in our offices, we were working from home that's when i started to use podcasting as another form of professional development because it was a way for me to listen to other people talking about the work that we do and we're not in the office anymore we can't just walk down the hall and say hey you know what do you think about this so having the podcasts to listen to and think about the topics that they're you know going through and i could still be working it's not a webinar where i have to keep you know paying attention to what's happening on the screen i can just listen and work at the same time but it's also you know giving me new perspectives new ideas
2: can you can you listen to someone talk and work at the same time i find that dual channel theory applicable there i can't do both
4: if it de- it depends on the work that i'm doing like if i'm doing some research or creating something new no but if it's something where it's like a routine, like if it's lightweight, you know, mentally. yeah, okay, <laughs> then okay. I can, I can listen I, I, and work.
3: I will agree time. completely with Celia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I do the same thing. That's right. been one
0: of the challenges. So i so as part of my job, we've been developing podcasts for courses. And one of the difficult things is like, do you, is this required text? you know, because one of the one of the reasons we're going the avenue of, t- of podcasting is because it's accessible. You can be jogging and listen to a podcast and still absorb information. But how much of that information are, are you absorbing? What, what's kind of the efficacy of that information dump into your brain?
1: We've been talking about that since day one, haven't we?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so so but but so we've kind of made it we've kind of made the decision that maybe it's more of a supplemental thing. You know, these are you, like when you go into a course, you, you maybe in a class in a classroom, you have a guest speaker. And maybe you're not completely connected to that, but it is supplementing the texts and the uh the 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 modules that you're working on in those courses.
3: I'm glad you said that because I am that person who listens to podcasts while at work, you know, while I'm working on routine tasks, just like Celia said. Mm -hmm. I'm also that guy who will listen to pot to eight hours straight podcasts because I've been running for eight straight hours. And and there are some podcasts I will not listen to while running, either because the voice is too soothing and, and it's just, it just, it literally slows me down. And, and that's not a good thing when you're a mile 80 of a 100 mile race. You need something to keep you moving. So, you need a good conversation. There are some things I will not listen to while at work because they're too interesting and mm-hmm. I want to hear them. Yeah. Right. And there are some that, that you, it's like they're saying, well, look at this document here and look at this here. And it's like, well, I ain't looking at anything because I'm, <laughs> I'm running or I'm working or I'm driving in traffic so i do pick and choose which podcast i listen to when and where based off of some of those those characteristics and i think that's a very important thing for a creator to think about
4: the other thing to think about and i'm thinking about how you're talking about commuting you know from home to work is the timing that's always something that creators struggle with how much time should we put to this podcast should it be a 20-minute segment should it be a 45-minute segment and i tend to look for the ones that are going to last the amount of time my commute is (laughs) well
3: at least we did before march of 2020.
4: right exactly
3: oh yeah when the less commutes no but i had my podcast that i knew if i if i put these two on I would finish the second one as I got home, mm-hmm. but that was when we were commuting. And
2: I try to do that, but I can never line it up. And then I spend a half hour in the car before I can even leave, trying to make sure that I time out <laughs> the podcast to the commute. And then you
0: have that driveway finishing listening to the episode in the driveway.
3: But one of the folks, but <laughs> well, one yeah. of the folks we work with here at ASU, uh, um, I know that he ten plus years ago would listen to books on tape while bicycling mm-hmm. home and he has been known to bicycle a couple extra miles in his neighborhood to finish the chapter because it was that good. (laughs)
4: Right.
1: And we'll share these report and statistics links in the show notes, but another one that I was taking a look at, what currently is the average um, podcast episode length? And the vast majority, 31%, hit right between that 20 to 40 minute mark, which I think is that's what we think of as commute length, you know, <laughs> um, the next closest, most popular would be your 40 to 60 minutes, slightly more longer form uh, mm-hmm. podcast. So
0: that's the great thing about core stories is that no matter how long you listen to it or what you're doing, it's always a great listen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is turning into
4: a I know. <laughs> like,
3: core can... Stories is available wherever you listen <laughs> to podcasts.
4: <laughs> we need a little ding
3: every time. <laughs> I love the buzz marketing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's a good segue, actually. Uh, so what is on the horizon for podcasts in higher education? Where do you think those opportunities and challenges may be as we we go forward? You know, we're in this sort of what we're thinking of as post-pandemic back to the office phase. What's next?
4: I think with Stephen mentioning how easy it's gotten technology-wise to create and how, how faculty can find software that they can quickly do and, you know, create some simple productions. I think more faculty are getting interested in using podcasts for their students, especially because of the way things have changed in higher ed as far as students becoming more hybrid or doing more from home versus on site. I think it's going to grow even more. So the flipped and blended equation may
1: be driving some of that in the future. Yes.
3: You know, I think about this issue and I think, well, there's, in my mind, there's three strong types on this one line of measurement. And that is, you've got those conversations like what we have here today. You've got those interviews, which is someone interviewing someone differently uh, regularly, like teaching in higher ed, which is a great one. And, and I actually, and as an academic administrator, I listen to some of those people to see who can be my keynote speakers in future mm-hmm. events that I'm running. I'll yep. be completely honest on that. Yeah. And I think that's an important piece to mention here on the horizon for podcasts is that as these thought leaders are emerging and and being put out there in some of these popular places, I suspect they're getting more and more calls hopefully and especially with some of their topics to go, "Hey, this is something of interest to be a keynote speaker." And then to go back to the third top, the third type is the the one where i see it's just a narrative where one individual is just speaking it's a monologue of some sort and and when you look at those three we look at we looking at a point of view from those three types you know i think about those those monologue types being like the blog post but there's a really important place there from an academic publishing standpoint where you're now getting your research out there in a different way or your pedagogical practices or whatever it is that That is important to you uh, in higher ed and to your audience. We have seen uh, where journals have tried to put out podcasts and said, hey, we want you to supplement your journal article with a short interview or a short monologue or whatever the case may be. We've seen where some institutions will ask the PhD candidates who have completed their dissertation before graduation to record a short podcast to make their research more accessible to a general public audience and so those are some great opportunities i think the barriers though is the noise i'm going to come back to that is that it's not going to be valued on tenure and promotion uh, committees much like blog posts are unless they're published in a place of prestige and we still have that hierarchy in place you know you can put your journal article wherever you want but the more prestigious the journal the better you can publish your book wherever you want. The more prestigious the publishing house, the better. And I think that's where you're seeing now, where you've got, you know, you put a blog post out, that's nice. Oh, it was in Inside Higher Ed. Oh, it was in the Chronicle of Higher Ed Education. Um, and I think, and you're now seeing some of those organizations put on their own podcasts. I think that's there's going to be a prestige factor. But that being said, it doesn't stop you from the discovery of. By doing it, having people find you.
0: And what what do you think uh, would contribute at this point to that prestige? Is it
3: listenership? Is it being part of a network? Or, well, if the old thinking continues, it'll be someone's brand name who has established prestige, like a big publishing house. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to say it that way because that's where the control is. What we really need is librarians to get in there and curate. And I think that's what's going to hmm. matter the most. You know, you think about the journals that are most prestigious. It's partly because They've been curated by a number of professionals: a, those in the field, and b, librarians. If mm-hmm. you want to kill the prestige of a journal, have every library stop paying for it.
1: Well, and that recognition of some form of peer review. So, if you're talking about endorsements, if you're talking about another voice, another thought leader, as you say, recognizing the the contribution and the value that it has, do you how how do you capture that? How do you how do you demonstrate that? Thumbs up.
3: Mm-hmm. But at the same time, look at what. Again, with course stories, not to plug them again, but there's a number of other podcasts. You can plug them again. <laughs> but there's, there's so many other podcasts that now exist at ASU. When we started, we, we were under the impression, and I think we still are, that we were the only one at the time. Mm-hmm. We were like the first. As far back. as I know. Yeah, as far as we've been able to find, we're like the first at the university. If there were others before us, they didn't continue on they, they had stopped yeah. before we started and, and we kind
0: of had to make it up as we went because we were like where do we publish this yeah i don't know yeah. maybe we put it out for everyone you know rather than there being already a resource right. established for it
2: yeah that's and my what? question are there any prestigious publishing platforms that get recognition from administration university or college or institutional administrations like oh if a podcast is published by these guys it's got to be good i i don't know of anything. inside higher ed and
3: so there's a ton
1: of affiliation chronicles
3: anything yeah. that's got major affiliation of some sort and again i think that's where the librarians come into play as well as the publishers and you know, but that being said, like I said, you know, there we were kind of the front of the second wave of higher ed podcasts. The first wave were those who were playing in iTunes U. And right. I know that there were plenty of podcasts at ASU in those early days of 2005, 6, 7, and 8.
0: Right. And um, we had explored that when yeah. we were trying but to figure iTunes out U where was we were going to put shut down. It. In yeah. Those yeah. It was so totally was, defunct at that time.
3: Um, and that's where you look at this, and I'm going to call it this third. We have a third wave really going. Or maybe it's still the continuation of the second wave. I don't know. But the bottom line is we've got a ton of podcasts that people have put out at ASU and a ton of different topics. And I listen to several of them because they're of interest to me and they're good voices out there and they're all doing it differently. And I think that's important. Find going back to Seth Godin, find that tribe, find that who are the, what's your smallest viable audience to make it worthwhile and build that community. All right, I want to take this
1: back to the micro level for a moment and and circle back around. So we started this with a concept as a faculty development opportunity, foremost, really a, a place for our instructors, our people in our local college to have a, a place to, to learn, to think, to reflect. And one of the frustrations that I still have is that I can't even tell you today how many people within our local college are listening, are gathering value or what that translational effect may be to their teaching, or even the way that they think about the way they interact with their students and so on. We have glimpses, right? We have occasional conversations or somebody will tell us directly, oh, that episode is great. And I tried something new, but that's, that's the exception. That's not the rule. The evaluation piece and understanding the, the, um, the actual outcome here, it is still very much murky and is still very much a moving <laughs> target and it frustrates the heck out of me in some ways. But I do think it's an opportunity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that back to thinking about, again, the future and where that fits with other programming elements around faculty development, digital credentials, things that we can put into a structure and utilize as an artifact.
0: well i can't really speak to the the credentialing uh aspect of it but really you know course stories again to to plug that (laughs) podcast again so it was developed as a piece to kind of promote the stuff that our instructional designers and our new media team was doing to the other faculty because i work for ed plus and ed plus works at a huge scale Mm -hmm. and some of the innovation and innovative things that we're doing and exciting projects that we're working on That doesn't always spread to every faculty member or every ID within their own team. And so that would, this kind of gave the opportunity to say, okay, here's something that we're doing really interesting. This, these faculty working with this ID and we're telling the story of that and sharing that out to, you know, to an internal audience. But again, we, by setting it up, and and this was one of the things that Stephen had had, had kind of had a vision for with IBD to put it out there, you know, to put it on the main, the big platforms, and get it spread across every every space where you can listen to podcasts. Core stories available wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but you know, so then so then you kind of. You open yourself up to audiences you didn't even know you had, you know, a student might listen to uh, an episode of course stories and go, oh, wow, that actually, for whatever reason, why they listened to that episode, maybe (laughs) they were interested in law, business law. And we have an episode about a course that looked at business law. And now they can go, okay, actually, that sounds like a really fun class. I want to take the online version of that class. Mm -hmm. And so so, yeah, by opening yourself up to a broader audience, you get unexpected audiences and that murkiness is maybe something that's actually a value
4: yeah i was just going to say i think this episode is going to be a drinking game so take a shot every time you hear course
0: stories. <laughs> <laughs> and every time you listen to course stories, take a, take a, shot, take a shot.
1: Tell me <laughs> when but not in Ricardo, your car. Right,
0: <laughs> tell
1: me when you have figured out the magic wand for collecting metrics on how many other instructors at Ed Plus are listening to those episodes and taking the ideas and using them. Tell me when you figured that one
0: out. I, I could not tell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's that's one of the difficult things about, you know, proving efficacy of what we're doing because I mean, right. we, we're, we're top notch media producers i mean everyone on the team is operating at a super high level we know that that it adds kind of interest to the course it certainly is more engaging you know and there's been little bits of ways that we've tested we've tested some things in 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 the course you know did students who listen to the podcast going to get a little more or at least what was their feedback on how they felt that that yeah. the content in the podcast was uh helped them in the course so we we don't have the edison you know uh, <laughs> right. group uh exactly. tracking what we're doing but but we definitely we're continuing to operate at scale and with with our best efforts and
3: you know hopefully that and that reflects al- something that's always been an issue with the granularity of the data This is a problem we've had with all web statistics when you get down to it. With websites, it's gotten a little bit more, a lot more mature, I should say, with how Google Analytics works. But there is no such thing for podcasting because of the way it's designed and the way it has been implemented over the last two decades, going back to RSS again. We can tell you from different systems, depending on which ones you use, how many people have downloaded it and where were they when they downloaded it. Right. I cannot tell you they played it. I cannot tell you how much they listened to it. Did they get halfway and stop? They start, you know, was there, were there sections they were listening to over and over again that was, we don't have that granularity of data and I don't know if we ever will. And, and that has been, I think, one of the biggest barriers to different offices and different institutions of higher ed from actually continuing with this. Because sooner or later, someone's going to say, justify the budget exactly. I'm spending on. Right. this."
1: Exactly. Because it's
3: not just in the equipment. It's not just in the server, but it's also in the people and the time it right. takes to do this. And So your yeah. cost
1: benefit equation, it really has to provide some nuance. There really has to be some recognition and understanding on the lead decision makers, if you will, on an, on that investment, if that's the case, mm-hmm. as to, okay, if you don't know if your faculty are listening, you don't know that you're marketing an idea or a concept or a product then then show me what's the value show me what means success for this product
0: well and, yeah one of the magic things about podcast I'm to use the word magic uh course stories uh <laughs> so, <laughs> but no one, one of the uh one of, it's ephemeral you know what i mean like I, I can't tell you you know what the benefit of a certain episode of this american life that i listened to when i was 15 is but i can tell i know that that story has stuck with me for years Mm -hmm. and has probably affected my life can i measure that effect Mm -hmm. no i I don't i don't think i can but but i certainly know that there's some sort of intrinsic value in this and it's also like what in a in a classroom when you had a great conversation in class i mean that that has effects that cannot be measured because of the nature of of podcasting be this ephemeral thing it's 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 on the same plane as that and it's hard to measure
3: agreed I also want to throw in there, I think, another area for growth of podcasts in higher education is from the student creation side. That's yeah. what I was mm, wondering yeah. about, actually. Yeah. I mean, you guys are trying to move in that direction. A lot of people, actually, not just you guys, but a lot of people are trying to do that. See and one,
1: do one, teach one.
3: It, well, yeah. You got those. <laughs> you you you, you, thinking. You get, the, get those models. And, uh, and and the problem that you run into, I mean, I mean you think about, was it, EduPunk with Jim Groom all those years <laughs> ago. Uh, about 15 years ago now at Murray Washington, where their students were publishing public materials from what they were learning as they were doing local history and different things. And, and I think there are some students who do enjoy the fact that someone other than the instructor actually looked at what they had done and they put more pride in their work when, their work be, when they know in advance their work is going to be public and they are able to share and go, hey, look at what I did. I can put this in my portfolio. I can share this with other folks.
0: Right, and even in the classroom, I mean, how often are students sharing their papers with each other? But they can be sharing these conversations, the podcasts that they're making in the course, uh, course stories. We uh, (laughs) are you on a podcast called
2: Course Stories? Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, as as we've been
0: recording that we're so sometimes the media team and the instructional design team is a little siloed. And and even we're those two groups are siloed from the faculty in some cases. Mm -hmm. And we find out as we're exploring these courses like, oh, yeah, we have students produce their own podcasts. Like they have been doing that for years and right. a lot of people are doing that, you know, and it's it's really exciting and really neat to have these kind of like and in, in the same ways that, that you guys, you know, have top cast and these other these other podcasts and these podcasts are having conversations with each other this is really exciting and now these students are creating their own brands and creating their own messaging and those things are having conversations with each other so it's really it's really exciting and again that barrier to entry is not very big you know there's yeah. it's, they're they're relatively easy to produce
3: you know i'm gonna have a flashback here uh, around 2005 or 6 I was working with a faculty member at a different institution who that's exactly what they were doing was they had their students write their own textbook for the course Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in in a wiki style website Hmm. and then they had the students call in to a skype number that automatically recorded the podcast of the article so they were they were making podcasts to support the the textbook they had written online I mean, and that tells you, that's technology for you right there. You're using a telephone to call a Skype number to leave a recorded message because you can do it whenever you yeah. want it. <laughs> so, so, that time then, so that that could then be edited into a podcast to support right. the textbook. And so, uh, and then part, part of the assignment was to actually build the script and all the other stuff and the drafts. But yeah, I mean, this is something that we've been doing for well over 15 years and it's It's no longer this weird niche thing. It's not mainstream yet, let's be honest. But you could see it trying to get over the hump and maybe get to those early adopters and start not being that thing only an innovator does. But now it's beginning into that early adoption phase. Mm -hmm. Well,
1: we're contractually obligated to remind viewers uh listeners that we are number one in innovation for like year number 322 running at issue so (laughs) just throwing that out there as a reminder we are innovators (laughs) all right friends what a trip down memory lane we've been on today it was great to hear about your perspectives on all things podcasting past present and future I'd like to close with this quote from the 11 thoughtful scholars who wrote the 2021 Inside Higher Ed article we discussed earlier. They state that as a form of public scholarship, high quality podcast creation reinforces the connection between the university and society at large. It offers a rare opportunity to make scholarship accessible to a far greater audience than written materials could ever reach agree or disagree with those specifics, but it is certain that podcasting has made quite a mark on the higher education universe in recent years. I'd like to thank my colleagues Celia Kuchwatiwa and Aaron Kraft for keeping the IBD flame burning all these years, and we all extend our gratitude to the erudite Stephen Crawford and the multi-talented Ricardo Leone and Core Stories for joining.
0: (laughs) Can I I plug something real quick? uh, Not core stories. Your mouth. The IMDC. (laughs) (laughs) IMDC, I was supposed to mention this earlier, but the IMDC is the uh, Instructional Media Developers Community. So if you are at ASU and you are working in instructional media, uh, we'd love for you to join us uh, in conversation.
1: And how could they find this community? I don't
0: know. Maybe we could put it in the show notes or something.
1: Let's do that. We'll put that link in the show notes. Thanks. Call Ricardo at. Yeah.
0: R-O-L-E-O-N at ASU.edu. For... All of
1: this cross marketing. My head is spinning. <laughs> Fade out. Fade out. <laughs> oh,
2: that's it? Okay.
3: Oh, I thought we went off the rails.
1: No. We did. You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as an Instruction by Design underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation. So no, no continuing podcast expertise for you to talk about then.
3: We have attempted several times to launch one. Are you calling it IBD2? (laughs) Electric (laughs) Google? No, Aaron. I
2: gotta
4: say, it feels
1: great to be around the table with all of you again. What a fun day this is.